opinions voiced in Investing Simplified with Bo Caldwell are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial or tax advisor prior to investing. Investors cannot invest directly in indexes. The performance of any index is not indicative of the performance of any investment and does not take into account the effects of inflation and the fees and expenses associated with investing. Guests on Investing Simplified are not affiliated with CWM LLC. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC registered investment advisor. Price Financial Group Wealth Management We do investing simplified Welcome into Investing Simplified. However you're joining us, thank you for making us a part of your day. As a reminder, if you miss parts of the show, you can also catch replays on podcasts wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's Apple Play, or I guess it's Google Play, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, any in the above, radio.com. We're on there. You can also visit our website to pricefg.com where we have our past shows posted there. If you have a question that's been keeping you up at night, that's what we're here for. We're here to answer those questions or get you the answer. So we're trying to find the answers to those things that have been worrying you, whether they're about financial questions, whether that's your taxes, your estate planning, or your investment planning. And one of the things that we love to bring to you is we are a fiduciary firm here local in Portland. We love to bring you that information. And one of the things that helps you get that information is to be working with a professional, a certified financial professional like myself. That's a CFP, board certified financial professional, as well as Matt Sudol. I'm super excited to announce past his CFP exam. You are now officially a part of the CFP club. I am. Yeah, it's very exciting. Um, you know, I met the requirements set by the board and uh, just uh, received the final notice that I can uh, now use the marks. So, you know, uh, we uh, we kind of uh, couldn't talk about it until everything was finalized. <laughs> right. right. Um, but, you know, there's a, there's a reason for that. It, the CFP board uh, tries to make sure that the mark is used appropriately. And um, basically, they go through a, through a pretty rigorous process of actually you know, sending that final message saying, okay, you've met all the, the requirements you want, you can now call yourself a CFP professional. So, right. um, you know, I, I was talking to you about the four E's that go into it. So we have the educational component has to be met, which me- means you have to go through, uh, you know, uh, one of the... We have to have uh, a college degree first. I mean, that's the first that's one. That's true. You have to have you, a, you at least a bachelor's degree. A bachelor's degree, which they yep. verify. You have to mm-hmm. send them transcripts. Then the education component is um, you have to work through a uh, one of their uh, providers for education, you know, uh, College for Financial Planning, Kaplan, you know, there's lots, lots, lots of well, so yeah, and programs. It's, it just because you know, I feel like you're selling yourself short a little yeah. bit. I mean, it's it's a pretty selling rigorous. Short, yeah. Since you are also. So. It, yeah. It, well, it's been a while since I went through mine. But yeah, it's, yeah, it's a rigorous process that actually is equivalent to, you know, significant graduate level work, yeah, right? It's, no, it's, it's graduate level courses, right? You're in graduate mm-hmm. school basically while you're working at the same time. So you've been holding it down, helping clients, helping our, all of our friends here. I shouldn't, you know, I should say not just clients, our friends, you've been, you know, co-hosting a radio show. You know, you've been doing a lot of things while also still studying. going through 
you know, this college, this, this graduate level coursework, right? Which is, it, it's a pretty rigorous course that you have to pass tests along the way, small tests. Yeah. So the education, uh, you know, takes about a year, probably, you know, depending on how quickly you're going through it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think the biggest hero in all this is, uh, my wife who's put up with me, you know, being locked into, in my uh, home office on weekends studying, you know, basically day and night, uh, yeah. for this, but shout um, out, Sierra so shout, out shout, shout out to Sierra. Absolutely. Um, but yes, there's six um, six six classes. Then you actually have a capstone project, and so each class, you know, takes two to three months to get through. It, it's a pretty in-depth jump, you know, dive into different uh, parts of the program. And after you pass each one of those, uh, you know, then you do a capstone project that takes all of that information, and you have to put put together a project, basically a financial plan for uh, you know a hypothetical family. Um, so that's the education, and I tell people that it's. Uh, Exciting, and it was exciting and, and, and good information for me. Most people would fall asleep if I started talking about all the details. I know I <laughs> so don't. So don't I go tried to the talk to my here, wife, but we can't put people to sleep. Just, people listen while just as an overview, you know, you what are this? What are the disciplines that you cover in the education? You've got um, the principal uh, knowledge and just basic information. That's usually you know, and, and these usually go in this order. Um, then the second class is insurance, and that's you know, life insurance, long term care insurance, and everything in between. Um, then you have investment and the, the management of investments and how those uh, come on, kind of uh, play in with portfolios. Then you jump into Kevin's favorite, taxes. Uh, taxes are a big one, and it's usually uh, one of the tougher classes. I, I'm not going to see that you pretend it wasn't a rough one, but it, it, it's interesting, and I, I, I did fine in that one also. After that, uh, you take a dive into retirement plans, and that's both Retirement IRAs um, and also uh, employer plans, mm-hmm, 403B, mm-hmm. 457s, uh, self-employed, uh, so all the business owners, SEPs, Simples, you name it. Um, then we move over to uh, Taylor's favorite, which is estate planning. And so that's uh, the wrapper on everything. It goes into all sorts of trusts and estates and things to consider yeah, there. Wealth, wealth transfer issues. Wealth transfer issues. Like mm-hmm, yeah, so each mm-hmm. one of those is, um, and then at the end, like I said, a capstone. So once you get the education, assuming, first of all, you have the college degree, as you said, um, you also have to meet the experience, uh, which experience is another E uh, out of the four. Um, they, uh, they, you have to uh, prove that you've been um, in the business. Yeah, so working speak, in the working, financial planning, working with, yeah. with folks in the And there's a certain realm. amount of hours you have to mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. It's... It's uh, similar to the CPA when yeah, when yeah. when CPA sit for their board um, or JDs when folks get their exactly you know their jurisdiction. It's a significant amount. I want to say it's like six thousand hours um, if you're doing the work um, indirectly, and I think four thousand if you're doing it directly. So if you're a support person, and so it's not that you you know can get it right out of college without experience. No, right, right. that does happen where people get through all of the requirements, but they cannot use the mark until that is met and verified. Um, the other item that I recently did was the exam. Now, the exam is uh, by far probably the toughest thing you do because it just, you know, it, it accumulates all the information into one. And so, so it's a six-hour board exam you go through. Um, so it's a whole day you basically spend just, yeah. just testing. Um, and the testing is not um, what you would expect where it's a, you know, a quiz. It's It's more of application right it's all application right, right. well it's application but it's also you got to know application based. But you got to know the details right yeah you have to know how to apply the knowledge so you it's not enough to just read through the books and study the material and memorize things you have to know how to apply it in real life which uh, which is good to you know 
to know and good to have because then you know when when we're meeting with clients that's exactly what we're you know so these are real cases i've worked through not just some hypothetical uh things right. that 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 would never happen these are real life things and well, then, it's worth it's worth pointing out before you go yeah. to the last e because I, I think we both agree the last e is the most important part yes of, i think so uh, of the of the cfp board and, and their requirements but the exam, the big piece of it, mm-hmm. it only has about a sixty percent pass. It does. That's true. So only about two thirds of the people that's that t- less than two thirds of the people that take it actually mm-hmm. pass. Yeah, it's a pass fail. There's no score assigned to it. There's, uh, uh, you know, you uh, you don't know until you finish it, and then you get the the result longest of thirty pass. seconds of your life. Yeah, when this the, <laughs> the screen's telling you pending. Um, it doesn't have, uh, you know, a super high pass score. You know, prior to taking it, I was, <laughs> I was thinking, oh man, they're making the test too hard. But at the same time, when you sit down, uh, when I sat for it, I felt pretty well prepared. Uh, but it was still challenging. So it's one of those things where you know it gives, if anything, it gave me more respect for the profession and for people that hold the mark. Yeah. Uh, you so what know, you're saying including, is more, more respect for me. So I'm gonna finally, including Bo. You know, <laughs> he, he has had the marks and and passed it also. Um, but it also sets the bar, you know. A lot of people say it's one of the highest um, financial profession marks you can achieve. You know, there's different certifications out there, but this one sort of stands out. And most people, when you say you work with a certified financial planner practitioner, they know what that means. Um, if you're ever curious if somebody truly is one, you can look it up on the CFP board website, and you can pull them up by their name, sort of yeah. like you do a broker check for a financial professional. So. And the board does take the marks very seriously. And so yeah. if, if, you know, you can't simply just put, you know, you can say you're a financial planner, but in order to use the certified financial planner practitioner, uh, practitioner marks, yeah. marks, you have to uh, meet the experience. And all of the three that I mentioned, plus the fourth one, which I saved for the end because I do think that, as you said, is, is probably the most important one, and that's the ethics requirement. So um, ethics is actually a huge part of the curriculum in general. Uh, basically, every single class you're taking, it comes back to the ethics of, as a fiduciary, what is the right thing to do for you know client uh, that you're working with? And the board has an entire uh, entire sections on this. Right. And, the, and, the, and, and there are several questions on the exam that target that, um, so they don't uh, they don't take that lightly. Uh, you know, in addition, they obviously they do a background check, credit check, and all that stuff. You just submit, making sure that you have no um, prior felonies yeah, yeah, and all no, sorts no of bankruptcies, things. bankruptcies, no felonies, and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So all of that gets checked by the board. So when you know, uh, once that's approved and ready to go, but it is a huge component, um, and it kind of, you know, because really, in the real world, um, the trust we build with clients is all we really have. You know. Right. Because right. market goes up, market goes down, mm-hmm. investments can do um, what they'll do. Um, so it's important to build the trust. And it's hard to build trust from with someone that you just met. So I think, and this is part of the reason why I've decided, you know, to pursue this um, very, very, uh, you know, time-consuming task is because, you know, if I'm meeting with someone, you know, if they then see, okay, he's got um, some background in this and has gone through this process and which is why we're taking a little bit of time in our show to talk about what does that really mean because i I don't think it's spoken about enough you know um i think our it guy was telling me that um there is eighty thousand cfp professionals out there um and that's not a very big percentage if you consider all of the financial advisors in general so um 
Anyway, no, great accomplishment for me. I'm happy. Happy that I can actually finally uh, talk about it um, <laughs> out and open, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so. Yeah, well, you know, the, the thing is, it, 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 you know, the CFP board, they do have a lot of rigorous requirements. They, they crack down on folks that don't um, update those. And you mentioned ethics and experience. The, the thing about the education and the ethics piece, right? So the exam and the experience you have to do once, right? But the ethics and the education piece you have to continue doing. There's, you know, there, there are significant amounts of continuing education you have to do, right, to maintain your CFP marks. You also have to continuously subscribe to the ethics and the, the code of ethics that, that the CFP board requires. And what you didn't mention in there, or you may have glossed over it a little bit, but, you know, w- one of the things with it, if you're working with a CFP professional, mm-hmm. they are required by the CFP board in order to maintain that practitioner mark to be uh, acting as a fiduciary for their clients, whether or not they are actually in, you know, financial services in terms of, you know, we manage money for clients and do planning and do, you know, all the different things that we provide for clients. But there are CFP practitioners out there who just do plans. Absolutely. But they have to always act in the best interest of their clients as a fiduciary. I pulled up the numbers. So it's 88,614 certified financial planners, practitioners, which this may not include yet because of how <laughs> quick recent it was but in oregon uh, interestingly enough um the board actually has the number and um you know california has is leading it's got 9500 um but oregon has got 988 so less than a thousand we're two of less than a thousand in the whole state uh, that. Uh, yeah. pl- 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 planning practitioners so i think that's um you know giving ourselves a little pat on the back matt's not here matt may um but i know he's proud of us yeah well you know he I know that he, he likes to, he brags about you all the time. Not so much me, but a little bit more of you. Well, you know, I, I think that's, you know, we've spent enough time sort of glad handing and patting ourselves right. on the back, but it is a big deal. Um, and I want to put it out there that, you know, I'm very proud of you. And it, it, it's a big, it's a big accomplishment and something you've worked really hard for and something that folks, um, you know, if you're not working with a CFP, you know, we're a little biased. I happen to be a little biased because I am a CFP practitioner right. and now we have two of us on the team, if you're not working with a team that has at least one CFP practitioner, I think you're doing yourself a disservice not working with someone who has that knowledge, that experience, and that ethics requirement. Just because someone doesn't have it doesn't mean they're a bad planner or a bad no, advisor. No, not at all. But I think, it, I think it sets us apart. And if you'd like to have that review, your very own complimentary review with our very own Matt Sudol, the CFP, the newly minted one of a thousand here in the state of Oregon CFPs, give us a call, 503 253 3,000. You can shoot him an email, Matt Sudol, M-A-T-T-S-U-D-O-L at pricefg.com. We'd love to see you. love to sit down with you. Again, we offer that as a complimentary review. You can get your own stamped, you know, book, what's that, book stamp, rubber stamped CFP. I don't have a stamp. (laughs) It's a hypothetical stamp, but hypothetically stamped um, CFP approved financial plan. We'd love to see you. Yeah. No, we... um, we tried to dive in as deep as the clients or people calling us want to. I'll tell you that we can get very detailed on plans. And I think having the experience and the marks behind this um, allows us to kind of dive in a little bit deeper than you know an average advisor. I was just looking. So about 20% of uh, all financial advisors are certified financial planners. So, you know, you can have an approach where you're looking at things and you're doing a good job, but if you're not looking at it as a holistic, you know, as we talk about the holistic approach of looking at all of the aspects of your financial picture, you could be missing a thing or two, you know, or a lot of things. And it yeah. depends on how complex your financial situation is. And so, I mean, personally, if I had a choice between somebody with or without the marks, you know, and 
you know, I would say that most of the time the cost is comparable working with one or without one. Yeah. And so I think the value add is is important. Wait, so. we're not we're not just ra- we're not raising our costs just because you you got. That I didn't thing. hear about that. I, oh, I don't think we are. Geez. I think we were staying the way we are because <laughs> I think it's just more value we provide um, for our clients and you and any of our uh, listeners, which. You know, uh, I always enjoy speaking with our listeners just that way. Again, I talked about this last week. It doesn't just feel like I'm talking to you across the studio here. It's people are listening to us. Right, which is nice. So if you, like I said before, I think it's a good place to you know take a break. Yes. If you have a question, a question for our newly minted CFP, shoot us an email. You can shoot it to askbo, A-S-K-B-O, at pricefg.com or visit Investing Simplified Radio. Dot com to leave your question there. We'll be right back with more Investing Simplified. Leaving an employer can be stressful and overwhelming, but once the dust settles and you're at a new job or perhaps retired, it is important to consider your options for that retirement plan left behind. If this situation applies and you would like to hear more about options available for 401k, 403b, or other retirement account rollovers, please give our office a call at 503-253-3000 to schedule a complimentary consultation with someone on the team to go over your specific and individual situation. We will take the time to get to know you, your goals, and let you know what the best course of action is for you and your family. We do investing simplified. You're listening to Investing Simplified. Now, back to Bo Caldwell. Welcome back to Investing Simplified. If you're just now joining us, thank you for making us a part of your day. We we truly do appreciate you listening. We appreciate your questions as well. I know I spoke last week, Matt, about trying to figure out a way to engage with the audience and make sure we're answering questions yeah. that they are having. And we have had some questions that have come in. And one of those has been, you know, as we look at markets being at all-time highs, right, we've got some, you know, some places where markets continue to touch all-time highs. People are thinking about maybe taking some risk off the table, right? We've talked yes. about that a lot where it's a good option to, while we're not trying to time the market, right? Because it's not about timing the market. No. We're going to try to be time in the market, right? See, you, the more time you spend in, the better it's going to go. But we've had situations, you know, we've talked to listeners, we have clients that say, oh, I don't want to buy right now because the market's high. I want to wait for a pullback, which is not a terrible idea, right? right. You want a terrible idea to wait for a pullback. But uh, a lot of times, when does the pullback happen, right? And so... If you're looking at a you know a diversified portfolio mm-hmm. and you're, if you're looking at you know rounding out your risk, it does make sense though when it continues to touch all time highs to take gains. There's a, there's an old adage, you know, in investing, and I think it translates down to when people are trading too. But you're never going to go broke taking your gains, right? Because, no, yeah, I like that. You know, a lot of people think of when you're looking at you know investments that you own is you you know they say, well, that one's not doing that one's doing pretty poorly. I'm going to get out of that one, right? Right. I'm gonna, and then I'm going to go into this one because it's doing really well. And you end up doing the opposite of what your goal is. You end up buying high and selling low right? Right, rather than the opposite. And so if you're in a buy and hold, you know, a long-term strategy doesn't mean you're just going to stick your head in the sand. But you're buying – if you're buying quality investments, you're buying based on your risk tolerance on your overall goals. Like we said, you're sitting down with a CFP practitioner. Just as a reminder, if you missed it earlier – Newly minted CFP newly practitioner minted. Matt Sudall here in the studio. But if you're working with a, a a true fiduciary who is looking holistically, 
right? You're you're buying for the long term, but that doesn't mean that you don't take some wins, right? You don't take some yeah. money off the table or some risk off the table. But some for those folks that are feeling that they're a little bit out over their skis, like maybe they need to dial that back. There's a struggle to find, you know, places to put that, right? Really? And traditionally, it's been in bonds. So yeah. traditionally, folks will invest in bonds because it is the ballast traditionally to your boat. And I personally still think there's a good place in your portfolio for bonds, right? Because they're just are statistically, traditionally, historically less volatile than stocks. But what a lot of people don't realize, and we've talked about it a few times here on the show over the last months, as interest rates rise, which I believe, you know, Matt May, who's, you know, not with us today, but he called a, he called a pretty good bottom in the bond in the interest rates. He said, you know, yeah. interest rates are going to go up and it was pretty perfect timing. Now we're not going to be right all the time, but you know, even a, even a broken clock's right twice a day, right? <laughs> right, there you go. <laughs> but he did call that, you know, near the bottom of said interest rates, we're going to see a rise in interest rates. And what people may or may not realize is when an interest rate goes up, the price of your bond or the value of your bond goes down. Yeah. Right? And it makes sense if you think about it. So this is the way that I explained it. And tell me, Matt, if this makes sense to you because folks say, well, why would that happen? Well, if I'm looking, if I go and borrow, if I'm borrowing money, you know, I'm going to pay an interest rate, right? So if I'm buying that bond, that means that I'm loaning the company money. So if I have a bond that's paying 3%, for example, Mm -hmm. right? So I've got a bond that's paying 3% and I want to sell it to you. And you look at me and you say, well, that's great. I'll take that bond. But, you know, Matt over here, he's selling a bond that I could buy that's paying 5%. Hmm. So in order for me to make my bond attractive to you, what do you think I have to do? You discount it. I got to discount it, exactly. So the price of the bond- Plus we're friends, so there's a double discount. (laughs) Well, I mean, are we? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, 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 yeah. If if somebody else has a better deal, obviously you have to discount your deal, right? Your right. your bond. So it it makes sense. And so we've seen bonds take a little bit of a hit, um, but that doesn't mean they're bad uh, all the time, right. Right? right? And it's just temporary. We're only looking at a short period of time, and you know, over time they'll start recovering. Plus, this goes back in that, into getting to, to technical, but it depends on how long of a term of a bond you have and sure. how many are there, how many are maturing. So all those things we look at when we, you know, or Matt helps build portfolios and figure out where we're actually placing fee- people's uh, funds in. But the questions that we've had are either people that maybe have had cash on the sidelines mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. haven't jumped in the market because they're not too excited about that. But bank savings, bank online savings accounts haven't been paying anything. CDs, right there with them, not paying anything a quarter percent. So, you know, as rates are starting to come up, people hear that. And obviously the right thing is to consider, oh, wait, rates are going up. Maybe mortgage rates are going up. What does that mean? My, you know, fixed rates are going up. And the answer is slowly they are, although it's taking them, you know, they don't. Well, it usually takes a while to trickle down, right? So you hear, hey, the 10-year treasury is up to a certain rate. And that Mm -hmm. that has an effect on bonds generally, right? But it may not have an effect on fixed rates. But the question becomes, do I go do an online savings account at half a percent of interest, right? It can be, that can make sense, but that's not that exciting, right? Half a percent of interest, not super yeah. exciting. I get questions all the time. But there are – what other options are there out there? Like you said, CDs are paying even worse than online savings accounts, it seems You'll like. You'll probably right? end up with about the same. Last time I looked, it was around a half a percent, like a savings account. And it doesn't really matter how long of a term. You can get a 10-year CD at half a percent. Right. And that would probably not be a good idea for most people. So Right. But the idea behind it, right, yeah. is it's this cash alternative, right? It's something that you've been having cash. I want safety. Exactly. I want safety, but I want to get yeah. a little return. And what it, it, what else is out there? 
um, that you can get. And what a lot of people don't realize is there are fixed products, fixed fixed interest products out there that actually pay a pretty reasonable rate of return, mm-hmm. right? And it, it varies, right? It, just like bond interest, just like interest rates, it will vary. So you got to shop it around, but it's really nice to have somebody help you shop it around, right? We've had mm-hmm. a lot of clients that have come to us recently and said, hey, what, you know, what kind of a rate can I get? Yeah. You know, I want to, I'm willing, I've got, you know, $100,000, $200,000 that's, you know, been just wasting away in Collecting cash, right? Collecting dust. Account, you know, yeah. then I say, hey, well, I, you know, on a rate, if you can go, I mean, if you have money, you know, in that 100000 or above range, jumbo CDs aren't paying anything. They used to. Right. Right. That people remember back in, back in the 80s. I mean, I remember, Lord, you know, Matt, I tell, I tell this story all the time. I got married in 2008. And my wife and I were very lucky, very blessed enough that, that her grandfather gave us some money as a wedding present and we, you know, bought a CD with it. You know, I didn't have any experience in, you know, in investing at the time. And so we thought, okay, CDs, that's what I know. You know, I know CDs are safe. Right. You know, you know, put it in on a one year CD, just put it away until we figure out what we're going to mm-hmm. do with it. And I got 5%. Yeah. On that one year CD. That's, that's 2008. That's not that long ago. Right. No. So, it, you know, rates do, you know, may eventually come back and they do come back. But right now it's hard. You have to shop it around and, you know, it, it's really hard to do that. We've had clients that have asked and actually we have found if you can, if you have money, right, above $100,000 that you can set aside for three, four, five years, right, and not touch because right. you're not touching it anyway. You want to earn a, a reasonable rate of return. There are actually attractive rates out there. Yeah, they're starting to look better and uh otherwise we wouldn't be really bringing it up or having a discussion because if rates are you know one percent or less than that it doesn't doesn't make sense as they get higher it becomes more attractive because then at least you're starting to keep up with inflation right and uh and then you know at some point you know if let's say you come into a five-year term or or so then you have another bump and so uh, i would suggest if you're thinking about hey what do i do with some cash doesn't have to be cash also it could be retirement accounts oh sure yeah if, it, 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 if you're um, taking some like we talked about yeah it's some worth exploring off, right yeah. yeah and the other thing i was thinking about is not only is it that people that are sitting in a cash sidelines but maybe you've got a portfolio that's done way better than you expected it to do which that could be the case because we've been on this uh, you know tremendous bull run even with the coronavirus dropping the market mm-hmm. and so maybe if if you had uh, set yourself up goals and you know and we talk about this on the show uh, a lot where you have a goal and then you have to have, get some sort of a rate of return to achieve those goals and that's sort of where you want to be but you if you've kind of beat your own bench, benchmark and you're year you made more money than you necessarily need to and maybe you're slightly ahead of your target it may be a good idea and something to consider to maybe taking some some of that money off the top and putting it in the safer bucket that you know will not drop with the market um, yeah. or cause you indigestion um, on a daily basis. And so those are things to think about. And um, yeah, well, and so if you, yeah. you know, I have a couple of questions I want to ask you and just, you know, get your thoughts on, right. but, but before I do it, if you want to have that rate shop, if you'd like to see what rates are, we, we don't quote rates on the radio because they do change, yes. right? It's something that changes. But if you want to have that conversation, know what you could get for a one, three, a five-year time frame, right? A, term, a period of time that you could lock that money up. 
get a reasonable rate of return, give us a call, 503-253-3000. We'd love to tell you. And that, that's, again, no obligation. You don't have to you know, tell us yeah. anything other than, hey, I've got X amount of dollars. What you know? What kind of a rate can, what can I get? What can you do? Right? We can pull Gen- it up and just right. ask you a few questions and then yeah. give you give you a ballpark idea of where we were. You know? Yeah. Um, well, and so it, I'd ask you, you know, you mentioned, okay, if you're yep. willing to commit to five years, you get a little bit better rate. Well, my question is, well, shouldn't I commit to 10 years then? Yeah, and that's 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 a good point. Um, right uh, at the moment, and, and currently I would say no. Uh, yeah. Primarily because if you think about it, the, looking at the rates, they're not getting much better after five years. Okay. So you've, you, you know, we're talking, we used to talk about the yield curve all the time mm-hmm. and it sort of, sort of flattens, you know, meaning let's just hypothetically say, pulling a number out of thin air, we get a five year uh, rate at 3%. Well, at a eight year product may also have 3% or let's say call it 3.1%. Well, so then do you really want to lock up your money for an additional three years for an extra 10 basis 0.1%? Yeah. Especially not if you believe... Yeah. That interest rates might exactly. be going up, right? Yeah. So, so some people would, you know, that's why you know, three years, five years is sort of typical. Uh, maybe splitting it up between the two, where you know you have got something at three years that that matures, and then you've got something maturing five, and you sort of almost laddering it out, so you mm-hmm. have, um, you know, some liquidity. And so, that's why I wouldn't go too long of a term, right? You know, not that I'm afraid of commitments. I mean, I am a married <laughs> individual, but. You know, committing to a longer term, it doesn't always make sense. Well, you got to get a premium for it, right? Yeah, you if you're do. if you're willing to, cause the thing that you know it, it behooves to make sure people understand when, what we're talking about when we're talking about these fixed income products, stuff where you can get a fixed income, a guaranteed rate of return, and it's safety. You have to be committed to not touching the money. Like when you're locking up a CD, when you're locking yeah. up a fixed income, when you're locking up money for three, five years, it has to be. You have to be willing and, and able. Not to touch it, which means that we have to make sure that it's not money that you need in the next three or five years. Exactly. So exactly, it's a lot harder to get that much farther out, and especially if interest rates are going to go up, if like you said, right? Yeah. I mean, if you were, if you had a time machine, went back to two thousand eight when you bought that CD, would you have made it ten years? Maybe, you know, probably not though, because over time that five percent doesn't seem as appealing. It's right. it's an opportunity cost. What else could you be doing with the money? Because if we're having, if CDs are paying five percent, then returns of the markets are going to be higher to now 08 we had a pullback but then afterwards the bull run started and you know the market returned pretty significant returns you know shortly yeah. after so well and you know th- it was five percent for a one year i mean we'd yeah. all be jumping jumping over the moon right now for that right but if i remember i mean it, it wasn't that you could get let's say eight percent for five years i mean it was again flat it's probably flatter yeah, yeah. so I don't recall and, and part of this also is you know if you're buying a cd at the bank the the bank doesn't necessarily want that additional risk they don't they don't have a crystal ball they don't know where rates are going to be the last thing they want to do is be stuck with a 10-year cd at five percent when rates you drop. know, drop because, right. you know, CD kind of, if we're going back to the example of a bond and it's worth a little bit less or a lot less if it, right. you know, the rates go up. So all things to, uh, yeah. And again, you get us on a subject that we're passionate about. We'll just talk your ear off. But <laughs> yeah. the main point being, if you've got cash on the sidelines, if you've got money that, you know, maybe you want to move to a safer bucket, there are options out there. And, you know, if you're sitting there thinking about it, give us a call. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, like we said, there's no obligation. We're not, no. we're not tied. That's one of the keys to working with an independent fiduciary office like absolutely. ours. So that's, you know, that's something to, to maybe talk about, you know, go on a little bit of a tangent from what we were talking about before. Right. But, you know, a lot of times you, know, you come across people that say, oh, well, you know, you, you, I'll go to the bank and I'll t- I want to talk to my guy at the bank. And nothing wrong with the bank. I'm not, you know, I'm not casting aspersions on any particular financial institution, but they're only allowed to offer 
what the bank offers, right? So when you're working with a someone that's at at a bank or at a credit union, they're only allowed to offer what that bank or credit union has to offer. Whereas an independent fiduciary firm like ours, we we go anywhere. So we we look for what is going to be the best deal. If we're looking for fixed income, right? If we're looking for fixed yeah. rates for our clients, we'll go whatever company, whatever product, whatever thing we can find that's going to give the best return with the most amount of safety for our clients, right? Because that we are not compensated any differently, folks. We're you know that we are compensated the same whether no matter where we go with with products. So we want that's to make sure point. that we are looking out for your best interest, and that's the true meaning of a fiduciary, right? Is that they are looking out. For your best interest, that comes back to your fourth E over there, right? Right. Ethics on the on the on the CFP on the CFP board, right? So absolutely shopping it around, you know, kick the tires, talk to different advisors. That's the other thing you know you want to talk about a little bit is when you're interviewing advisors. If you're working with folks, that if your if your advisor won't tell you how they get paid, right? You know that that's a big red flag. That's questions that I've had come up with when I've met with folks. We've had some listeners come in and talk and, and had some clients actually ask and they people can be oogie about it, right? They can say, Well, this is sounds great, but you're just you know, you're just gonna get paid off of it. And well, nobody works for free, right? I had a client that mentioned that you know, we were talking today. He said yeah. you know, he said, Well, you know, I tell you well, not today. Sorry, the other day I get confused. But you know, talking to the other day, he said, you know, nobody works for free, and if you're working with somebody who works for free, maybe that's a problem. Maybe that's a red flag, right? Yeah. It's <laughs> if they if they don't tell you that there's any cost, oh, this is no cost. This is no cost. Well, how do you turn on the lights in your office? You yeah. know? I mean, there's yeah. none of that magical stuff happens where you know just a fairy comes and pays the bills. Right. Um, so it's good, and and you you if you ask the question, you should get a straight answer. Yeah. Um, and an explanation, and as in the detailed of an explanation as you'd like to go into it, you know, because you can get to a very granular level uh, <laughs> in terms of all the costs associated with with working with a professional. Yeah, well, there's a you know, I don't think anybody has a problem. I don't have a problem paying you know a professional to fix my car. I don't have a problem paying to go to see that you know that, that well, I don't really you know pay that insurance company pays, but you know if I go see the doctor, you want somebody that is working yeah. as a professional that has worked and done their due diligence and that, that comes at a cost, right? You do, the key is not paying too much, right? Not overpaying and knowing exactly what you're paying for and why you're paying for it, right? right. And being comfortable with it because that that's a key. Yeah. And, and that actually brings up, um, I did have a chat with someone uh, that was listening and uh, their question simply was, Hey, I, I, I've had a, a working relationship with this advisor that my family's used for, for a while, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, and dad passed away, unfortunately. Um, but they've kept the accounts there. But they weren't sure, well, how much are we paying, yeah. first of all? Uh, and second of all, they were like, well, I don't really know how it's invested, which, you know, to me, that seems, hey, a little bit of red flag. You know, the advisor should really reset the expectations and talk in, in detail with whoever took over the account as if they were a brand new household coming on. Um, but we're happy to do that. We're happy to, you know, get a copy of the statement and then we'll do a dissection of that and tell you exactly where where those um, what the costs are, um, what the I guess more importantly even that where the risk is. You know, um, yeah, it could be through that you know um, somebody was uh, invested and maybe that person passed away several years ago when you haven't really looked at the portfolio and it's kind of gotten under control. And as we we talked about you know trimming the weeds and whatnot and just right. rebalancing things, um, but also. You know, I would say overall, uh, the cost of money management has come down as technologies improved, as, you know, ETFs took over the world a little bit more, you know, for mutual funds. And so, you know, what you used to pay for an advisor 10 years ago, 
is different than what you're paying now. I think the costs are kind of shrinking um, in a way, I think. Um, well, and it's not necessarily just about cost, right? Yeah. Because cost is only an issue in the absence of value, Absolutely. Right? So, is, but the key is knowing. But what, also what knowing. I, what I heard you mention in there is he said, I don't really know what we're paying. And yeah, yeah well, you know, that's, that is part of what we do when, you know, if you, if you call our office and want that complimentary portfolio review that we offer, call 503-253-3000 or visit our website, pricefg.com. We're happy to sit down with you. We'll do that complimentary risk analysis that Matt mentioned because we do think that that is number one, right, is how much risk are you taking. But you also will do a fee analysis for you. We'll, you know, analyze what you're paying and then make sure if you're getting what you paid for, if, you, if you're comfortable with what you're paying and yeah, what you're getting, then that's great, right? Because that's the key. You want to find an advisor, an advisory team that you are comfortable with that takes good care of you. Because to say that we have the corner on all the best ideas would be lying, right? Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's a lot of good advisors out there. There's a lot yeah. of good teams. There's also a lot of bad ones, right? But the key is you have to be comfortable with what you're paying for, what you're doing, how you've been allocated. And as long as you're comfortable and you know exactly how it works, exactly what you're paying and exactly why you're paying, then that's, that, that's perfect. So if you want that complimentary analysis, that'll be a risk analysis, portfolio analysis and a fee analysis. And you know, Hey, I'll even throw in there that we'll do a, that, that draft financial plan, right? We'll give you a complimentary holistic plan to look at where you're going and we'll tell you how we would do it if it was with us, but there is no obligation. There is never an obligation to work with our team. We're happy to get you the information as Chuck always said, what you don't know can hurt you, right? That's so the true. idea being, as long as you know what's happening, you got a free professional second opinion, right? Sit down, take a look. We'll tell you what we see. We'll tell you what we think about it and the cost to you. You know, I should say it's not free. There's a cost. The cost is your time. Yes, right. cost is sitting down, yeah. and you know there may be a little bit of homework involved. You know, you got to gather some of that data, make sure you know where all your statements are. But you know what I've found? A lot of people have said it's, it's been nice. It, you know, it's the only homework they ever enjoyed. Right, because they actually got to know he get a picture, got to see where everything is. Right, get that picture. You know, yeah, get a snapshot out. in time, and then you know you can figure out. Okay, here's where I am. Here's where we're going, and you know what adjustments, if any, do I have to make? Um, most of the time, I would say people are, um, you know, in. I think people that come uh, usually uh, have something on their mind, like oh, you know what, this has been on my mind. Mm-hmm, I, I mm-hmm. I've been kicking the can down the road. It's been on the back burner you know, I should take a look at it. So um, they're usually pretty engaged and and they want to get going and getting the information over. And then once we have the results out, um, they appreciate that. So I I don't think I've had a single meeting that I can think of where somebody's like, oh man, well, this was a waste of time. You know, (laughs) thankfully. Or at least they didn't didn't say it to you. They didn't say it in my face. I mean, if, 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 uh, and I don't think they've called you, but... (laughs) I haven't, I haven't you haven't had any of those calls, no, no. but it's, you know, you, you're, you, there's always something new you can learn, right? Every day we learn something new. I actually pick up things from, from people that call us or customers or clients yeah. and, uh, and people tell me, Hey, some, something new I learn, and it doesn't have to be financial, but you know, just through conversation, you can pick them, some things up. Absolutely. So if you'd like that review, give us a call 503-253-3000 or visit us at FG. Com. We're going to take a break here and we'll be back with the last piece of Investing Simplified. When planning for income and retirement, there's a lot to consider between managing the budget that fits the family, trying to figure out from where to draw your income, or balancing the tax ramifications of withdrawals. Moving into retirement can be overwhelming. 
At Price Financial Group, we help clients work to create a sustainable retirement roadmap, addressing these concerns and more, and helping folks feel confident in their future retirement income right when they need it most. If you'd like a financial plan tailored just for you, please don't hesitate and call our office today at 503-253-3000 or text REVIEW to 484848 to set up your complimentary consultation. Price Financial Group offers investment advisory services through CWM LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisory firm. We do investing simplified. You're listening to Investing Simplified. Now, back to Matt May. Welcome back to Investing Simplified. The part of Bo Caldwell is now being played by me, Matt May. He ducked out and allowed me to sit in for this last little segment. Still with Matt Sudall here. How you doing, Matt? I'm doing well. Uh, Thanks for coming in to join us. I had uh, fun with Bo in the first couple of segments. We talked about... um, uh, me obtaining my CFP marks, which is very exciting, and then, congrats on that. By the way, that is a you. huge milestone. Yeah, I, it was it was a lot of work, but I'm glad it's over, and I'm glad I can uh, use that now freely. And then we we chatted a little bit about um, the market going up as it's been, and uh, you know also about people that may have money sitting on the sidelines and cash. Okay, what to do, and and so that there are fixed options if you're sitting on cash and you want to get a return that's better than your savings account. Um, but that that's really a tough one right yeah. now. I mean, interest rates so low, markets just look astronomically look high. Appealing. If if you've been sitting on the sidelines watching them go higher and higher, waiting mm-hmm. for a, a break. I mean, we got some little shimmy in February, March with the tech uh, technology companies, Selling particularly off. Nasdaq yeah. and such. But then it's you know right back it's to just the continue races. Continue it to grow, and so you know there's. Uh, folks out there who maybe want the cash to go into investments in the markets. But if you're sitting on the sidelines with cash and you don't want to participate in the market, um, part of the discussion we had in the second segment was the fact that, the, you know, that, that there are fixed options that we have that we can provide where you're not, you know, getting a really high return, but you can, you know, th- those rates have been coming back slowly as rates have gone up. So, but I think what would be good to hear, and, and I'm glad you're, um, on with us right now is kind of an update where we are uh, for the year. And I know um, at the end of the year last year, you know, we talked about a few economists that you follow and what sort of uh, targets they've set for different uh, indices and such. Uh, But also, you know, making sure we kind of talk about the market continuously goes up. But then at what point do you want to make sure you're still sticking with your strategy? You know, I think we talk about always sticking with your strategy and not going uh, FOMO or fear of missing out and just jumping in when you're not supposed to. Yeah. So end of last year, we had talked about Brian Westbury, who is the chief uh, strategist over at First Trust. And his target for the end of year 2021 on the S&P 500 was 4,200 points. Yeah. And back when we were talking about that, I think we were sitting in the, you know, was it mid to mid three thousand? Yeah. It was was essentially about a 15 and a half percent Uh, jump from the current levels when we were talking about it in December. And I was like, that is an extraordinary number. How do we get there? And we've pretty, we've come pretty close to that recently. That, that year end target. Here we are. It's already been hovering. Yeah. Yeah. We're already pretty close to that. As the time um, keeps, you know, going, 
you know, if we meet our target by the end of, um, you know, I don't know, mid-year, for example, you know, does that mean we just all uh, turn off our computers and take the rest of the year off? Or? Yeah, just <laughs> go to cash, just go wait cash. until January 1st next year. Yeah. I, I jest. But, you know, I did follow up with the folks at First Trust. Uh, I have a, a gentleman that is my conduit to get access at, to, to Brian Westbury's commentary. And I asked him, okay, so we're pretty close to... Mr. Westbury's year-end targets already so early in the year, what next? And he's like, you know, we, we asked him about that, and he, and he might modify his year-end target here pretty soon, but so far it's been unchanged. But what he told me is that in the last 16 years, I believe, Mr. Westbury's predictions have never overshot. Wow. Okay. They've always undershot the actual end result. And that's probably, I mean, could be because... He himself doesn't um, FOMO into following the market. So if he sets a target, because we talked about this in break time where, you know, hypothetically, if that target is uh, 4,200, you know, we may still end up there in December, but the route of getting there, you know, we may experience a, you know, a 10% drop and then an 11% increase and then be back to square one still, right? Or just grind sideways. Yeah. And, and hopefully be... the, the dividends that the S&P 500 or maybe some other okay. dividend payers are, are going to pay you would be some sort of additional return, perhaps. I mean, it, it really does paint the picture of, hey, this market has has definitely accelerated to a point where if, if you aren't measuring the risk inside your portfolio, now it's probably a pretty good time to yeah, do that. Absolutely. I'm not saying I'm forecasting a big downturn. We never know what's going to happen in the next yeah. one week, month, six months, one year. And that's too short of a time to really uh, gauge with a high level of accuracy what, what's really going to happen. The longer you go, you can identify long-term trends and mm-hmm. what is cheaper or more expensive on a valuation basis. But on the short term, it really is crystal ball talk, and it's it's dangerous territory to get into to say, hey, you know, this is this is the top. You better start trimming back. But I would instead change the narrative to your portfolio to really make sure you understand the risk target you're shooting for, right. and make sure that your portfolio is still in line with that. You know, when we talked about uh, this is probably several months ago, we talked about the different asset classes do different things at different times right. and this year's winners might be last year's losers and vice versa. So always try to shoot for a balanced and diversified portfolio. It yeah. may not, it may not ever be the best of the best in every year. And that, that is something emotionally where we really might have a hard time with, especially right. now. I mean, every headline is how come you didn't own whatever that's up 340% yeah. year to date. It's like, everybody loves those. It's like, Hey, if you bought Amazon and, this year at this price you would be this wealthy and this so one, yeah looking you know as you say the the rearview mirror is much smaller than your front of your car the windshield right so you can't be driving the rearview mirror um, but also it comes back to what and Bo's not here so but I'm going to use this um, phrase and that's building a all weather portfolio right meaning as you, you said being very well diversified but going into your, you know, sticking with your strategy, going to, with your plan, and not deviating by too much. Because I have had conversations with, with folks that are thinking, well, if the market is doing so well, should I increase my risk? And that's very natural and normal for people to think, hey, I don't want to be missing out on this. Should I be taking it on and maybe growing with the portfolio? But there's a reason why you are you know, set up with a specific risk. And that's because 
when the correction happens, not if, but when the correction happens, because there will be volatility, you have to also be okay with the downside. And it also um, has to be within your plan. So if you have a plan in place that um, gets you on, on, the, on the right path, um, if you have a correction that you're not expecting, it could derail your whole plan. And so, you know, that temporary uh, increase in your returns may end up hurting you long term. Absolutely. And so when we're building that all weather portfolio, that generally means that you're looking at in in today, in this year's time frame, some potentially unsavory results so far. And by that, I mean cash, interest rates are terrible, bonds. The bond aggregate, which is generally, it's kind of like the S&P 500 index for bonds. It's the the bond aggregate. The ticker symbol on that, you could look at AGG. And that's actually negative, more than 2%, like 2.5%-ish year-to-date thereabouts. So if you own bonds, for the most part, you're down in value if you're just all bonds and cash. Likely, that's likely the case. Yeah, if you're you're purely in bonds, which which it depends on your strategy, maybe, may not be. But if some, you might be flat if you're using some shorter duration or shorter maturity bonds we've talked about yep. prior on the show. Um, but it's a balancing act, right? How much mm-hmm. do you have in the bond space? How much do you have in the equity or stock space? But then also how much of your money is just in a safer bucket, you know, because we, we try to keep it simple here. We, we do put a portion of, of, of funds typically in a safer bucket too that may not will not be affected by the markets because you want to have that backup plan. Right. So when you're looking at your portfolio year to date numbers, you might see a a plus eight, a plus 13, a plus nine, a plus six and a half. And then you see a a minus 2.4%. It's like, why do we own that? Why is it negative? That's diversification working for you. Yeah. If you want your portfolio, if you want every piece of your portfolio to move in the same direction at the same time, that really defeats the purpose of, of diversify. diversification. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because that is a very good way of putting it. You cannot, I mean, most years, and there'll be weird years where everything is up, you know, that's happened before. But most years, if you're well diversified, there'll be positions that are up and there's positions that are down. And that's the whole point is you're spreading a very wide net across all different asset classes and different, um, uh, you know, investment strategies. And you're not betting on one particular thing to work out or not. So, right. So that's very important to remember for sure. So then when you're looking at your portfolio and as if it if it's time to think about rebalancing, I think you want to be disciplined about when you rebalance. You can pick a date on the calendar. Maybe you do it every six months or once a year, or you can do it with certain market characteristics. Like if the market is up a certain percentage or if the market is down a certain percentage, I'll rebalance my portfolio. Yeah, and then you, once you rebalance, you just track it again. If it's absolutely, up 10%, absolutely. it's time to rebalance. If it's down 10%, it's time to rebalance. You can set your own targets, but yeah. it, it is dependent on your particular situation. Absolutely. And I would say that if, A, um, you haven't done it in a while and you'd like some help, um, you know, give us a call. B, if you haven't done it in a while and you don't really feel like doing it yourself, uh, you'd prefer to have professional help. That's also another great reason to give us a call. Uh, we're at 503-253-3000. And uh, one of our staff will set up a time with somebody on our team and sit down and, and, and we'll, uh, we'll just give you the analysis of, you know, how much risk are you taking? What does it look like your portfolio going to do in the future? Potentially what's, 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 what uh, similar uh, portfolios have done. And so you can really gauge uh, how much exposure do you have? And, and then are you on the right track for retirement or whatever the goal is? Yeah, I had the privilege to actually 
have an ideal client experience. Mm-hmm. You know, people from in our industry, what is the ideal client experience? It's all about what the client experiences. For a financial advisor, such as ourselves, yeah. the ideal client experience is like the the process that we would use to bring a new client on board. Mm-hmm. And I had the we had the privilege of having that ideal experience and it looked a lot like this. We spent quite a bit of time working on their plan before a dollar was paid to us, before right. a dollar was transferred to us. We spent a number of hours and the the client did too doing some homework, getting documents together, building their financial plan to the T. To the best of our ability, we put a lot of time and effort to create that plan and then we analyze that plan. We ran that Monte Carlo simulation, which is, uh, if you recall from prior shows, it it basically basically takes someone's situation, all their variables, all their dollars, all their goals, and says, "Hey, in these one thousand scenarios, what is our probability of success?" And right. we ran that calculation and said, "Okay, we're really really close. Here's what we can do with Some this last piece tweaks. of the puzzle yeah. to uh, to really." get us over the goal, over the finish line. And that's where we started. We started with that plan and they say, okay, here's what we have to work with. And we were able to make that work for them in a way that sticks to their discipline plan. Yeah. No, and it takes, it took all the guesswork out. It worked like clockwork. Yeah. And, um, that's the value we provide. And and we sit down with you, um, no cost obligation of, of consulting with us. And, uh, and we draft the plan now. I'll add that we've had some wonderful questions come through on the air. And, uh, and if you have a question that you might have been thinking about, maybe it's something that was uh, uh, recently in the news or it could be a question that a family member asked, uh, best way to get a hold of us is send an email to askbo. That's askbo at pricefg.com. Um, one other item that I was going to ask you about, Matt, since I have you here in the show, we've got a couple more minutes left, mm-hmm. um, would be, you know, we talked about you know, some of the overweights and tactical things you've thought about, you know, like international and small value and stuff. How has that done? Is anything changed? Or, you know, and it's okay if you want to take a moment and think about it and we can talk about it next show too, because I know it's a, a long subject. Yeah, so the tactical overweights, for the most part, have played out. The international hasn't necessarily shined as much as we'd hoped, but certainly the small value has really outpaced yeah. the the market at large, the S&P 500. So small value has been nice. Small and mid-sized companies have, have grown really well. Uh, and those, what we did see that rotation that we were talking about late last year, early mm-hmm. this year, within the first six weeks of the year, I believe, we were talking about, hey, it, are we really going to continue seeing that COVID trade working out or should we pivot towards what the recovery looks like? And that's a large part of what we saw in the shakeup in late February through March is that we were seeing some of those positions unwind in the COVID trade, yeah. those stay-at-home tech companies and rotating into those dividend payers and more of those cyclical stocks that we talked about. So that actually... Uh, has has done quite well so far. So I, I would say, honestly, giving myself a, a B plus there. Okay. You know, I, I'm a tough critic. You got to know that about me. I'm not a, you know, I don't sugarcoat everything or anything. Uh, a, a solid B plus with, with and, and this is predicting, right? And the, the famous, uh, one of the famous portfolio managers that I follow, follow. His name is Bob Dahl. He says, all I have to do is be 60% right and I'll make people a fortune. 
So B, having a B plus, I, I, I like will, it. Uh, you know, I like it. I think I'm gonna polish the knuckles. I on think that what one a we're bit. Uh, we'll do is we'll have you back on next week, and then we can uh, dive into more detail. My question to you is now what? Now what? Yeah, <laughs> now, exactly. Now, it it, it all pretty question. much happened, and it's you yeah. know, it, we're we're barely into Q two. So Absolutely. now what? Well, we appreciate everyone listening. If you've got any questions or if you'd like to sit down with us, give us a call at 503-253-3000. And with that, tune in again in a week for more uh, Investing Simplify. Have a great weekend. Take care, everybody. The opinions voiced in Investing Simplified with Bo Caldwell are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial or tax advisor prior to investing. Investors cannot invest directly in indexes. The performance of any index is not indicative of the performance of any investment and does not take into account the effects of inflation and the fees and expenses associated with investing. Guests on Investing Simplified are not affiliated with CWM LLC. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC registered investment advisor. Financial Group Wealth Management Price Financial Group Wealth Management We do investing simplified